great cameras on them yet. So then you, you do a pass of, of just photography with a DSLR and you shoot about 300 images of the, um, of the costume, um, which then you process through one of these photogrammetry softwares that does that just turns it into a, 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 a volumetric thing. That's Nick Dangerfield describing the process of scanning objects from the recent David Bowie Is exhibition. Now an AR app developed by his company, Planeta. Oh, should I? I'll let him introduce himself. Yeah, um, um, hello, I'm, I'm Nick Dangerfield and I run Planeta. Planeta is a product studio. We develop different products, mostly around music and photography. He's joined by Vasiliki Kansari, a visual anthropologist, artist, and producer working with immersive media from a different angle. I'm Vasiliki Kansari, and I am the founding partner at Ink Stories, where we tell stories across screens, everything from mixed reality installations to video games to interactive live action, films, and TV. Nick, Vasiliki, and I are talking about immersive media in this episode. You'll hear us refer a couple of times to a previous conversation, which is a live version of the interview that was never recorded due to some technical issues at the venue. It happens. What's so exciting about this sequel to that first meeting, in addition to the abundant generosity that the two of them offered in coming back to record with me, is that we got to plunge fathoms deeper into the topic. It's a long one. But if you're like me and still deciding how to make sense of immersion and virtual media, spatial computing, and whether this will all someday come together to benefit learners like us, then you should stick around for the full conversation. It might surprise you. I have some exciting episodes planned for 2019. As we approach episode 50 and download number 10,000, as always, I invite you to get in touch over Twitter at M.A. Lesser to tell me your ideas for upcoming episodes, or just to show some love. It'd be great to know you're listening. Even better, join us on Facebook slash No Such Thing Podcast, where I post new episodes and other content. Enjoy the conversation. This is No Such Thing, a podcast about the promise and reality of learning with technology. I'm Mark Lesser. Uh, Between the two of you, it really, I think, for especially for educators who um, are inundated with a lot of information about what this technology is, I think it's helpful to hear from people in the field who can um, characterize how broad the spectrum is uh, when we're talking about um, immersive technologies. So um, that's kind of where I want to start. I was hoping that... Um, Vasiliki, you could tell us a little bit about the work at Ink Stories um, and uh, give us a sense of the kind of work that you all are doing as, uh, you know, as one way to sort of um, illustrate one end of the spectrum, uh, which I hope we'll kind of fill in as we talk more. Sure. Well, um, it might help. I'll give you just a little bit of background please, um, on us as a studio and where we're coming from. And that'll hopefully give some positioning Great. as to our approach with our work. Um, my background is as a, as a visual anthropologist. So coming into this immersive landscape from a background in visual anthropology and then um, documentary filmmaking 
And so that has absolutely informed my process and how we approach our work. And then my partner, Naveed Kansari, he comes from the film and video game background, where he was a cinematic director at um, Rockstar Games for many years, directing um, big franchises, AAA games such as Grand Theft Auto San Andreas, Vice City, Max Payne, Warriors, um, Alan Wake, all the way up to recently, which was... um, Resident Evil with Capcom, which was an eight-hour VR experience, if you can imagine. And so what our sort of sweet spot, and I guess you could call it special sauce with um, our core creative team at Ink Stories, is really taking the best of these intersections of game design mechanics, cinematic storytelling, and my background in visual anthropology and documentary filmmaking to really bring it together and create um, create content that is uh, meaningful and brings interactivity and really immerses audiences into this new space, um, bringing with us the best of what we've learned from like the stickiness of entertainment value content, but also bringing the sort of gravitas and search for truth that um, we often look for um, in anthropology and documentary filmmaking. Yeah. You had this, you told this amazing, speaking of anthropology, um, you had this amazing story um, that you told on stage about an experience when um, your partner was producing for um, Grand Theft Auto and you were overseas. Can you tell that story? Sure, it's so powerful. Yeah, it's, um, I think this was, this is a story we often point to when people ask us like, you know, why, why take this part of the formula from um, big entertainment projects like Grand Theft Auto and, and bring it over to what you're doing now. And so Naveed was um, in Iran. This is um, maybe like seven, eight years ago. And at the time, he was in the south of Iran in this small town. And people there, you know, word traveled fast that here is this guy, Naveed Kunsari, mm. And people started recognizing his name as the only Persian name in the credits in the Grand Theft Auto title sequence. And so... Um, soon enough, a small crowd gathered and they wanted to talk to Naveed. And he said, okay. Or no, they they wanted his um, autograph. And mm. he was like, no, 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 no. This, let's make this much more interesting. I want to hear from you guys. I want to understand what what this like game property means to you. And yeah. so they sat together and they had a discussion. And what was so remarkable was this one um, young woman. And she said, you know, I don't even play Grand Theft Auto for the missions, what I like to do is I like to get into the car and I like to drive and I like to listen to the radio. And that sense of freedom in the sandbox world is like, gives me a totally different understanding of what like the US might be like, or this, this allows me, this is what I enjoy engaging in, Mm. in the game. And um, I think that was a real aha moment for him of like, wow, this amazing impact potential of these of these pop culture um entities and and how they manifest in different ways and different demographics for different people so how do we as a studio moving forward capture this um this ability to 
for wide general audiences to interact with this content, but really bring meaningful stories mm. to it. Yeah. Do, do you... Um, did I tell it as good this time? Yeah, you did. Um, <laughs> it's a really powerful story. Um, do you think... Um, forgive me, your partner is Iranian? Yes. Do you think that they knew his name because they recognized it as being an Iranian name? Yes, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Because the first time I heard the story, I wondered whether they had just memorized all of the credits of GTA, which is yeah. very possible, sure. or whether they picked him out knowing, like, oh, uh, you know, I see names like mine in these credits, which is um, really interesting in a different in a different way. Um, I love that story. Yeah. Um, and we're gonna we're gonna come back to it when we talk more about um, impacts. But uh, Nick, tell us about. Planeta and um, what I think uh, the work that you guys do is a nice compliment uh, in the sense that you're working kind of with a different kind of client and for and you've worked all over the map, of course, over time. But uh, Planeta is really focused in it on a different um, kind of mission. Tell us about some of the tools maybe that uh, you've been releasing over the last few years and um and let's fill out sort of an, another end of the spectrum when we think about immersive technologies. The, 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 maybe the focus of the studio in the last um, two or three years has, has shifted from um, a more dominance of like just visual um, creation tools um, to sound, uh, because I think we just got a bit um, tired of um, the amount of imagery that we processed. Uh, so we, we have shifted to sound. Uh, and the the way we work at the studio is it's, it's pretty simple and kind of just at a very base level, kind of reactionary um, in, in the sense that we see what is dominating the, the mainstream. And then, um, and we try to, to, to then um, assess what, what, could we contribute that would um, offer uh, an alternative take on um, anything um, that is uh, yeah, part of that kind of dominant uh, conversation? So we, um, in in 2013, when uh, when there was, uh, oh, actually earlier 2012, when there was, it was a very vibrant moment for for artistic expression on the internet, um, you know, with um, Tumblr kind of growing into what it was, and in many other platforms, and then. Uh, there was a, a, a bit legions of, of very young kids um, starting to dabble in, in in very interesting artistic expression, but they were everyone kind of was mostly using the uh, Adobe set of tools, yeah. and and when when a tool becomes um, when when it when it becomes kind of the most conspicuous tool that everyone uses, then it that it it creates an an, an unnecessary effect of homogenization of the work. Um, that happened a lot with music tools. So then we try to bring something uh, forward that will be just a tool that does things different. And then we built To Be, which was a was a highly complicated um, mm. product that existed on the browser and that had a a very deliberate kind of way of doing things differently. It was uh, um, obeying to more the physical gestures that you use in the studio, uh, uh, and um, and. And, and forcing you to to um, 
kind of take mistakes forward and correct them rather than just undoing them by magic, etc. Yeah. So it was just mixing a bit more of like a, a hand-driven practice or like a more imperfect practice with what digital tools were trying to offer. Well, trying very successfully, uh, not trying um, uh, and not managing. Um, but then um, so that's kind of how we started. That was my first purely digital product. Um, before I was making books and cameras, and I don't know, I've done yeah a, a, a bunch of different things. The um, in sound, the most important thing that we have been looking at is the function of space in sound. Um, so starting from the very basic idea of stereo. Uh, so there we are building speakers now. We're building beautiful flat speakers that convey a, a remarkable stereo field. I think it's interesting to introduce people to stereo again because it's been lost in the mix and we don't listen to music in stereo anymore. Um, and it's a shame because it's really beautiful. Mm. Um, and engineers put a lot of work into it. <laughs> and and then we speak. We, we, we use these little single source Bluetooth speakers that are demonic. But uh, the so we are, we're then doing something that is kind of com like diametrically opposite to this, like wooden speakers of a flat panel that that are built more like music instruments than than speakers. Yeah. Um, but the other function of space that well that was in, that has been introduced is is. Um, it's been very propitious because it's 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 AR and VR offer you space. It's um uh, the the only thing that then we've done is like we've um, started looking into how space uh, affects um, sound reproduction and sound display of sound. Um, so the idea of sound models and how rooms sound uh, with with spatial computing principles you can. Do, uh, and thanks to the the very sophisticated libraries that video games have developed, um, sound is at a great place in in virtual reality. Mm -hmm. The things that you can do, the, the sound emulation, the breaking a, a mix into a, um, a spatial mix with with sound, sounds coming from everywhere. Um, um, so it's 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 incredibly exciting for for music um, and for sound installation in in general. So that's been one of our area of of focus um and then the other one is because we we come from a world of of like a, a lot of interest in in photography and photography publishing we've always yeah. worked with photographers and um so then we we have been looking at what does the display of photography look like in in vr um uh, and and there it's just in the same way that with with sound what we're doing is sound plus space equals what and that's what we're trying to and then with with Photography, it's the same. You know, you you have a, a defined space and you have light, but you have texture and architectural details. And to see how all these elements affect uh, your experience with uh, the work, mm -hmm. um, and that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, that's, that, but that's that's only what we do. We don't have like a. We don't do projects for other. We try to stay kind of in in things that we 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 think we know a bit of, but but we're always kind of just beginners in everything that we do, and it's it's hard. Uh, but um, but we, we we develop these products and then we do something with them. Yeah, <laughs> you're working on this uh, project for um, David Bowie. Can you can you just describe that a little bit as a another way to engage? I think people. N just because of um, how recent 
uh, all of that uh, while we while we uh, pour. Um, how recent all of that uh, happened, and then uh, there was a great exhibit at uh, the Brooklyn Museum, and I think folks are sort of familiar with the work. But tell us about what uh, role Planeta uh, has had or continues to have in that. Yes, the um, we we are just adapting um, an, a museum exhibition um, for your phone, which is a monumental effort. <laughs> but uh, it's quite simple, in in fact, the, what we are doing. Um, we the the exhibition consisted of an unprecedented access to David Bowie's archives. Um, and they they displayed over six hundred items of his costumes and drawings and photography and video and music and ephemera of all sorts, and uh, it was displayed in about twenty discrete areas in a museum with with quite a like a spectacular di- exhibition design work, a lot of audiovisuals, very very well done. Um, it was organized by the VNA in London, and then it toured the world for six years um over two million people saw it and in 11 cities and it ended in brooklyn um in closed july 15th then from july 16th we went to the museum and scanned everything all Mm -hmm. the costumes and photographed everything we're still photographing things at the archive but just like hundreds and hundreds of items uh, and then with all that data, we've kind of reconstructed um, all the museum, uh, like a, I would say, kind of a miniaturized version of the museum experience in terms of miniaturized in terms of scale, not in terms of of content. But we just brought it into your like a, as a kind of a tabletop 3D experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have the benefit of some of the dramatic effects of the of the museum exhibition but you have more the 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 ability to inspect things in more detail and read the captions without the throngs of visitors and all these other things that um so it's interesting in the sense in that i was thinking if it's comparable to watching a movie in the cinema and then watching the movie on youtube like is it the same type of thing and i don't think it's the same type of um kind mm. of translation uh, i think that fortunately from the small version of our ex- exhibition i think that you derive some some different types of m- meanings that uh, and associations that you've done that you were not able to do in the big show mm. but we cannot even get close to conveying the sense of spectacle and grandeur of the of the show yeah so it's it's a very different thing um that's why I was thinking, is it the same as a YouTube thing on, like you're watching a movie on your phone or watching it in the cinema? Yeah. And I, I, I'm not sure, but I, I don't think it is. Yeah. Well, and it's exciting to think that uh, part of this moment in time for the technology is um, folks like you figuring out what the, what the distinction is, mm-hmm. right? Like um, really digging in and making some of these experiences and figuring out through testing and using and Mm-hmm. feedback um what is the difference and mm-hmm. and how do we leverage some of those differences to make them better in those directions can you can i come back to the um you talked about scanning artifacts um can you just talk technically about what that process looks like quickly well with, with the costume um bowie was um had a 
quite an extravagant phase in the 70s and he worked with with um uh excellent uh fashion designers but that were that did highly intricate costumes yeah. with a lot of reflective materials and leathers and sequin and feather and so it's all the materials that the scanners hate uh <laughs> but uh, but in print the, the 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 process is um you 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 can approach it in different ways uh, now we we know a bit more what we're doing than we before we got help from a from a company in, in brooklyn that that do this type of work but it, it essentially you grab a uh, first, a, a 3D scanner, like a handheld thing. It looks like a steamer, and you just just cover the whole area of the costume, mm. circling around it. And that captures a geometry, a very, very, very detailed geometry, like 3 million polygons or something, or maybe 30 million. I can't remember. It was a lot, a millions of polygons. Um, then, with, uh, then you have a, this geometry. Um, and it also captures texture. But it's not great quality. These things don't have great cameras on them yet. So then you, you do a pass of, of just photography with a DSLR and you shoot about 300 images of the, um, of the costume, um, which then you process through one of these photogrammetry softwares that mm. does, then just turns it into a, a, a volumetric thing. Um, and then with with those two types of data, you you kind of you combine the best of both worlds, and you and you come up with something that is like a lot of the geometry of the scanner combined with plastering on top. The essentially, I'm describing it as a as a layman because I am a layman. Mm -hmm. I don't understand the ins and outs of it, but but you essentially plaster the things uh, on on the the photographs on the geometry, and um, and then you just need to reduce the hell of it because the phones cannot handle more than 50,000 polygons on, of geometry on a single costume or something like that. So you end up with a much further simplified version of what you were able to capture, which is interesting that the capturing technique is so far ahead than the rendering technique. Uh, you know, but, um, and that's that's the process. And it looks, they look quite nice. Yeah. Uh, they, yeah. The, yeah, the feathers and the, you, you, it's difficult. You mean unless you have like a like a a three D artist working on it for months, you know, and mm. reconstructing because there's a lot of handwork afterwards, like yeah. a week per costume of like someone just polishing the the, in, the sculptural in, pieces. They're doing sort of post production on on some kind all of, of those scans. Yeah, on some kind of sculpting three D software like ZBrush or one, of, so that you, you you actually go there and and have to refine every line and the oh, buttons neat. and the holes on the button and the it's it's it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's who is who is that person is it usually a graphic designer no, no a 3d artist okay a 3d artist a modeler or animator i mean it's mostly people that come from the game world mm -hmm. um so fortunately there's quite a lot of talent in that space in this city <laughs> yeah um, right hmm. uh is that part of the reason that that planeta is here that's one of the reasons why i'm in in new york i mean in, in terms of like interesting people you know that there's an endless supply of, of it uh, um, so yes that would be one of the main reasons yeah I think is the people that you meet here from all walks of life from everywhere in the world yeah, yeah. The, the really neat thing to think about for me I want to um, shift gears and talk about how let's talk about what parts of this technology are are kind of most important and most impressive right now and um, one of the things that makes me think of when I think about um, 
about doing something like scanning David Bowie's collection and having it on your phone. Um, it makes me think of um, uh, Donald Norman. Do you guys know him? Um, he wrote, he, so he's a um, uh, really well-known uh, information designer. He's one of the, the sort of uh, founders of the revolution of human-centered design um, in the, you know, 90s, early 2000s. He wrote, um, and he goes way, way back, started like, uh, you know, birth of Silicon Valley kind of um, time frame. But anyway, he, he wrote this book called um, Things That Make Us Smart. And uh, he talks a lot about learning objects and the relationship between uh, cognition and objects. And what's really interesting to me as an educator is really thinking about, um, you know, putting, it's one thing to go, like I've had really powerful museum experiences um, or, or with a sort of source document. Um, but you really have to commit previously the process would be at you know go to a library go to a museum see the thing i take very detailed notes maybe i could take a picture um mm. but usually a lot of times not um but to have these objects you know in your hand as you are um making meaning around these things in a in a broader way so if if you think about things like the constitution or um you know Documents, uh, costume—I say costumes, but like uniforms, uh, things. You might be a social studies student in eighth grade, mm -hmm. uh, thinking about the textures and mm -hmm. things of those, uh, like a Civil War uniform. Or um, that's really interesting and exciting to me, especially knowing what kind of access um, students have to to mobile mm -hmm. hardware. Um, it tends to be a little better than having um, well connected. PCs at home. It's it's it is very interesting to to th think about what this um, sp space or in volume um, gives to this particular um, aspect that you're talking about. Because the the relationship with the object uh, f for me always exists um, to the extent that the object is something that is somewhat malleable that I can. You know, uh, hold and yeah. uh, and understand and turn around. I still don't have that. Uh, I haven't, and I think a lot about the object, the the, the, re the relationship to objects that that I have, and and I like making objects as mm. well because of that reason or books. But with the digital replicas, there is something inert about them that um, makes that relationship difficult mm. for me because if you think about like what is the difference between seeing a great illustration detailed illustration or photography of a, of a costume and seeing it turning around in your table in 3d I, I am still not with those that would say that the 3d version is is better in terms of giving you kind of the the slice of reality of that and the representation mm. of that and understanding what that object is. Mm. I still don't have uh, that and I, I should, but I, I don't, I have not been able to establish that relationship. Uh, but again, with, and, and it is something that I, I, I have tried to pay attention to with flat paper. 
I have it a lot. So if it's handwritten notes and if and you can see the texture of the paper and you can see the ink and the smudges, I think that that is is wonderful. Mm. Um, uh, but that is it remains just like a, a photograph. Yeah. But um, but in terms of what volume brings to the to the, to that, um, is it volume or is it scale? You know, uh, um, may, I think I would say more that it's scale than volume. Uh, the uh, the, the the idea of understand so understanding things at one one scale I think it, it is a, a very important improvement than that, that VR uh, or, or like any way of representing scale and and the the New York Times as as usual they they they're doing the best work in, in this field and um, and there was I think one of the most um, clear examples of of what AR brings in terms of of uh, Information and about understanding a, a reality was the the piece they did around the the, the Thai kids that were trapped in the cave. Yeah, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were just you would put your phone up and and they would just show you uh, the size of the of the hole, the orifice that they had to the divers had to go through. Yeah, and then you would and un- you understood the whole drama of the situation and mm-hmm. the of the rescue better than any graphic and anything with like this was just like a line in 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 the air that was drawing the the size of the hole and that was that was extraordinary in its simplicity and 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 and, and, and how much information it conveyed yeah hmm. i'm having a conversation with uh graham roberts uh he's he's great well, up at, up at the times. Yeah, he's, um he's. and i'm excited to to tell him that uh <laughs> that you're a fan <laughs> Um, I love that stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I want to. Um, what do you guys think? And and um, I want to uh, talk a lot about Hero, mm-hmm. the project that you guys have been working on, or is now done, but you've been sort of publicizing and doing that work on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get there. But one of the questions I I really um, enjoyed asking the first time and I wonder if if you guys have had more uh, thought about it is that question of um, what you think the most important um, the most important aspects of immersive technology are at this point in time right so given all of the crazy um, all of the tensions and and what are the experiences that you're seeing as as sort of members of this field that feel like the most important part of this moment for AR and VR? You know, it's, for me, I feel like the the bolder choices, or I mean, not necessarily just bold to be bold, but um, I think we're in such nascent territory in terms of not only creating the content, but also in knowing how to understand the content and as an audience know what to take from it, just in the way, Nick, like you're describing, like, I don't understand what these AR images represent and like, are they the same thing as, as the original object or are they not? And there's something in between. Right. And I think that's a really interesting space. Mm. I think that's, um, I think projects which interest me are projects that are pushing on those walls of like how how we 
interpret what is going on. It's kind of like the early stages of documentary filmmaking where it was like the camera could move all of a sudden and it was verite films, right? And yeah. so it's like, it's more the truth that this medium can convey because they're all like, it's a lens, mm -hmm. right? It's a lens through which that we're perceiving, interpreting and presenting um, this version of reality. Mm -hmm. And... Um, it's a very subjective version of reality, but hopefully it's after some deeper truth and, and can be a gift in that way. So um, that was a very, very broad answer to you. No, but um, but it's it. Well, maybe, but it's a great segue to talk about. You mentioned Verite mm -hmm. and um, uh, I think Verite is a really interesting mm -hmm. concept to bring mm -hmm. into. And, it, and Ink Stories is the first. Mm -hmm. I really have heard it in the context mm -hmm. of VR. Maybe other people are doing it, but in in my own sort of learning about mm -hmm. this space, you guys are really the the first I've heard talking about it that way. And I remember the first experiences I had with as a film student with VR. Right. Um, uh, sorry, not with VR, with uh, Verite. Mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of cases, Verite was was um, a you know if kids were to look at Verite now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a sat, you know, a student of media would would get the relationship between what's happening in things like video games and verite mm -hmm. in the you know sixties and seventies. Um, but it's not a terribly exciting thing to watch unless you're geeking out about the documentary form, right? You know, like I remember films like like um, High School. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? Mm -hmm. Um. Right. The uh, I'll find I'll, I'll find whose oh film god. it was. He's a oh god, he I was know a this. Favorite. Um, what was the Drew Associates that that whole era? Of, yeah. Um, um, but but so flashing forward right. to where we are now, um, let's talk about Hero. And I think that this is such an interesting connection mm -hmm. uh, and evolution of the form, which I don't think a lot of people are thinking about it that way. But mm -hmm. I think you guys uniquely are sort of. Uh, building on things that exist and and um well i think it's sort of um hero was a project that was born out of this um curiosity that we have as a studio to really push on the boundaries of how people interact with um i mean we don't focus exclusively on real documentary moments but in this in this particular situation we're very interested in how can a medium like virtual reality which is um, or virtual reality being, I mean, Hero is really mixed reality, multi-sensory, location-based. It's you're completely untethered, and and the world becomes sort of a small sandbox with which you can explore and interact with on your own, mm. um, with um, 56 cameras tracking you, with 34 speakers tracking you, and the experience is about putting you in this one moment in time. Um, in Syria, in a town in Syria. And so... Um, so describe... Um, so I'm in a town in Syria. Right. Um, walk me through because okay. folks are... This is a tough one because folks are listening to a description of this experience and it's such a rich oh experience. Lots of pressure. Um, <laughs> okay, so let me rewind then. So yeah. again, I was saying what the inspiration was for Hero. And so at the time when we started researching um, the project Hero, there was such an inundation of photographs and video clips and stories and prints, radio, 
And we thought, okay, what can this new medium capture mm-hmm. that can sort of shake people outside of their like compassion fatigue coma mm-hmm. and to recognize how significant this is. Yeah. And, you know, at the time there were 70,000 barrel bombs dropped in Syria, right? And so we thought, how can we pull together these different technologies to work together and choreograph something using um, untethered virtual reality, using the HP backpacks? Um, We partnered with Starbreeze Publishing, who we were very fortunate, went out on a crazy limb to help us make this sort of absurd project of um, untethered VR. We designed the experience to be sort of akin to an immersive theater piece right. whereby audiences are led through and step step into the world of Hero from the very beginning where they're onboarded. And we were very fortunate to partner with ICNA Relief, with, which is a refugee resettlement program. Mm. And so we use people who were from Syria um, in order to be a part of the experience. And like Nick had explained where he was scanning objects, we were very fortunate to be able to work with this group and interview them, but also be able to use their likeness and scanning them and to bring them to a motion capture studio where we um, digitize their performance with like 100 cameras. Um, you're placed in the pre-immersion space where you... Um, have the option to choose from different bowls. There are scraps of scarves Mm. and there the um, attendant or the host ties this scrap onto your wrist and it becomes like your passport into this world. Mm. Um, And once that's put on you, the headset is put on you and you are guided hand to hand um, very carefully and quietly to this front door which Mm. is in behind this black curtain this is a metal door and you're told once you walk through this door you will be in a very different place in a small town in syria and then the experience begins and um people are in this area which is um at the foot of a bazaar which is a tire store and you can explore, you can freely move around this space Mm. and explore and everything in the, it's, it's a canvas of actual and virtual. So everything you are seeing is actually built one-to-one and actually um, fabricated and constructed in that world. So when you reach out for a tire, you can feel a tire. When you reach out for the door Mm. and you see that door, you can feel that door. Um, And so you watch just the normal life unfold in this small town as it does, despite the crisis, despite the bombings, um, where people are enjoying everyday moments. um, And there's a a little girl who is building an engine with her dad. There are men working, um, listening to their favorite song. They turn up the music and they do a little dance. Everyone is just in that moment. And um, soon enough, uh, you hear um, a helicopter coming through, and that is when it comes closer and closer, and a barrel bomb is dropped. And from that moment, um, and once the dust settles and the ringing in your ears sort of subsides, 
you have the opportunity to move further into this actual canvas. Mm. And so the space opens up um, and you hear um, pleads for help. Mm. And what's really fascinating is how differently people navigate this space. And it really becomes this, this like there's like a dual journey going on whereby people are experiencing this sort of story world where they're in this verite moment and they have agency in this world. But also what was really moving was that it also became this very personal moment for people Mm -hmm. whereby they were reflecting on how they would react and what they would do. And for many, many people, the technology really just slipped to the side. And I think people were able to react in a very organic way where, um, I mean, we had, we had, you know, people who were, screaming out saying you know i know cpr i'm coming i'm on my way and navigating through the space very quickly there's two other spaces um which present both physical challenges emotional challenges throughout Mm. and um all the way to others who chose to just stand in that one spot and just sit tight um because for whatever reason that was their way that they needed to or wanted to react to the space or instinct kicked in and they got and it's scary right and and then the third space and so then we have um there's a live actor involved in this in the in the final room where if if you do find your way into that final room um, and the father, there's a father pleading for help with a little girl whose hand is trapped underneath some rubble. And she's the little girl who you saw earlier in the square. And um, you have the ability to go in into this hole and the father is trying to direct you to reach into this hole and release her hand from a lever. Mm. And so it becomes a really really intense moment um and and soon after the experience ends you know depending on how or what you do and how you react and then you're brought sort of carefully and slowly and guided hand to hand from a host into a different space which is a post-immersion space where there's a wall which was recreated to look like the wall inside the experience and there you have the same um, piece of scarf where you can tie with intention onto this wall and you could just see all the other people who have gone through as well Mm. Um, so powerful it was um, it's it was it's funny even talking and describing the project i Mm. think everyone who is very closely involved has some sort of ptsd Mm. from it just because every fifth if you can just imagine beyond the audience experience and the participant experience i can speak to the artist experience right because that's that was my experience and just ushering people ushering people every 15 minutes through an experience whereby you're watching them go through this really transformative moment um was was 
just sort of um, boundless in its possibilities and so incredibly moving. Um, yeah. What do you, halfway through your story, I'm thinking, um, like, what what did moving this production around <laughs> look like? Well, yes. <laughs> it's a really, really, really big process. And like, this is not just a... Uh, a headset. Absolutely. And a, uh, <laughs> no, it's a huge build out. There's concrete, there's like rebarb, there's That's like, insane. Like I said, like fifty six cameras, thirty four speakers, um, subwoofers, like butt kickers, like just like haptics. What fully. is a butt kicker? Oh, it's basically like just like a kicker. Yeah. Like I mean speaker? like and we use we use and then we use like sonic um um wave files in order to actually give you the feeling of the impact particles oh coming gosh. from the from the explosion and um we just really wanted to lean into all of these tools that quite often people say like or want to dismiss as taboo when you're working within mm. documentary but say like what does what can happen what are the possibilities if you start leaning into into this interdisciplinary approach and use what other people are using for storytelling mm. And, um, yeah, so moving it, we were, we were so fortunate to have, um, the Sundance Film Festival, which was hugely generous in giving us this enormous space to premiere it at. And then at the Tribeca Film Festival, they gave us the second floor, um, where when you're working particularly not only with, with such a huge physical set, but you're also working with, um, open air audio, it's, it becomes like somewhat prohibitive in how you're, um, how you're showcasing mm. this. And I think, I mean, this is a whole nother discussion, but this is like where curators and, um, and, um, museum curators and cultural institution curators and people need to really come together with different artists to figure out how to best serve the artwork in showing it. Um, because when you're working in this new space of emerging tech, it's like you really rely upon these venues to really provide you with the tools to show your work in, the, in its yeah. best form. Yeah. So what, what um, as a, as a observing that for all mm -hmm. that time, mm -hmm. um, was there any takeaway for you about the, you might not work on a uh, a war story for a little while, um, but aside from the fatigue of that, um, like were there takeaways about how what you realized about the potential of this as a as a learning tool as a as a machine for sensing and making meaning of absolutely things. i mean it's such an awesome responsibility as a creator and you know you're really working within a bubble and you don't really have the chance to fully understand what this impact really means and i think you know we're just on the front lines as these artists who are there very active in showing the work and so every 15 minutes you're showing it to a new person so maybe over the course of 14 days Imagine every 15 minutes you're putting, you know, someone else is going through this and you're watching this, this like unbelievable emotional impact happen. Mm. Um, I think some of the responses 
people were processing so many people, you know, we're still getting emails from six months ago from people who had gone through it and, you know, really talking about how it's given them a memory. It's, it's, it's they're in with, with, with the confluence of all of these different technologies, they're engaging with the material so differently. It's almost as though it's vicariously sort of giving them a memory. It's Mm. become, it's, it's obviously not the real thing, kind of like what we're talking about, but it's something different. And it's not something that they're watching or reading or looking at a photo. They're not getting the same um, information stimulus as looking at a photograph or watching a movie. It's very different. It's a lot closer to your own memory. And so when people are responding and saying, you know, I can't read these headlines in the newspaper in the same way, or all of a sudden you have people who believe that they had one stance on refugees and migration um, and the war in Syria, and then all of a sudden this has prompted people to really dig in and find their own information and find their own truths Mm -hmm. because it moved them in a different way. I think it's a real testament to, to the amazing power of this um, medium. Yeah. I think it's in a way it's, it makes, it was, by the way, it was Frederick Wiseman who did high school. Right. Um, Thank you. uh, That was, that was crushing me. I had to look. Um, The whole institution series. That's one of those moments when you're listening to a podcast and they can't think of a thing yes. and you're screaming and at the, uh, you. you're screaming at the, yes. Oh, so what I was going to say is that as a field, I think it's a little crazy in one way that, um, when you ask most young people about AR and VR, they think of Pokemon go, um, right. Or some of them are thinking about headsets and, um, maybe, uh, gaming experiences, but I think, um, from the work that that you two describe, you can see the just the breadth of. Um, it's almost not one medium; it's lots and lots of of different things. But um, one of the things that people talk the most about is um, you know VR as an empathy machine, mm-hmm. and and I wonder, you know, we're kind of getting to this in terms of. Um, you know, you're talking about the distance between a digital object and the real thing and, and really trying to negotiate that and kind of figure out what the threshold is there. Um, and uh, on the other hand, we have the, you know, this really like sort of what can be a really deep kind of theatrical uh experience you know with something like with a work like like hero and um anyway with with the thinking about empathy and the idea of of you know is is vr the technology that whether it's through a sort of a kind of more filmic approach or um or experiencing exhibition through your phone or tablet or whatever it is um do you think that ultimately empathy is, you know, the the characteristic or the the learning that um, has the most potential with VR, or do you think there are other other things we're missing? Well, well, if um, 
would we accept that video games make you a violent person? Me personally? Yeah, is that uh, you know because why would we accept the reverse? I I wouldn't no. accept that video games make you violent. Then why do we accept that they would make you a good person? I but good is different from empathetic, right? Well, but but good in the sense of of you know of of being conscious to the plight of people that are suffering, for instance, empathetic. Yeah, but in terms of, in in I mean it in I'm sorry because I'm 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 making a caricature of the both sides, and I simplify. But but I mean if we don't accept that that they turn you into evil machines, why would they turn you into empathetic machines mm -hmm. because to me the you know and I, i i react to this because i i refuse to to take and and um, the language that is kind of manufactured in like the whatever department of facebook saying like <laughs> yes this is going to be the empathy machine in the same way that facebook is right. about human connection you know and we've learned that that's not the case <laughs> and but now they still and now they're selling us that they made they've made a machine for empathy i absolutely think that that is utter nonsense and I will not accept it <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. I react violently to it because it's the um, I, I find that it's it's um, it's when we I, I think that it's when we when we get to borders that are ethically questionable like uh, you know whether we can we can um, be talking about this technology that is it has it has it is being pushed now by by companies that we should be suspicious of Um, but yet we accept the discourse that they are presenting about mm. that what these technologies do. Um, the point about whether they definitely create a memory uh, that is very different. I think that your brain is, I mean, it's, it is living a, an unmediated experience in which your brain is actually having to discern whether this is happening is real or not like your No, the, the, it's only like in, in spatial representation in understanding where you are, etc. There is something there that definitely creates a memory that is not comparable to other... Um, <laughs> I, I, I can't even finish the sentence because I start to disagree with myself. But, <laughs> but I, do the, I do this all the time. The, the thing is, that <laughs> it, is it, you know, you, when you saw the photo of the, of the little um, Syrian boy that is drowned in the beach... That one photograph. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If that that photograph, single photograph, does not make you feel for the plight of the refugees, there is something that is not quite working inside of you. Right. You know, and that's a yeah. single photograph. Right. And and that's what photograph photography has done for us. But right. at the same time, we have learned how to kind of turn off the switch and i and that's i think that the point that i was trying to make and i still don't manage to make it clearly last time is that it's the novelty factor in 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 vr is what allows these people to be talking about it as like this is gonna you know ramp up your empathy guys but imagine in the in the in when they started receiving photographs of of of, of you know just the, the first photographs coming from from people that are in the middle of like a, of a of a tragic situation and you were seeing these images the the first i mean and i i mean at the beginning of it all it it must have been crazy you know they must have talked like oh photography is going to change the world mm. which right. is kind of like and and no, it and did. They did what and it did but right? no, no yeah. not not in the sense of of turning uh -huh. it into more empathetic beings that we are because that has not been the case no we, we we've just completely used to uh 
to seeing photography of horror and like, oh, okay, yeah, it's fine. I, like, I think, I think we happening. need to manage expectations. And mm-hmm. I think, of course, the word empathy has been completely abused and became this like mm-hmm. very convenient marketing tag. I think great art elicits empathy, full stop, right? And, and, and it's not by any means exclusive to VR. But I do believe that it's not just the novelty, this sort of experiential ability for you to step inside a world and to function and engage in a way beyond intellectual or visual or, you know, even auditory is probably even more engaging, right? I mean, in terms of our brain um, synapse connection, but just the fact that we are experiential human beings moving through time and space and and balancing all of these different stimuli at the same time mm. i think that's what's fascinating about vr and i completely agree with you i mean this idea of it being like purely this empathy machine i've seen a ton of real shit like sorry i've seen a ton of really yeah. poor vr pieces that it's like just because it's in vr it's not embracing any more sort of empathy shaping but also beyond that i think we also have to be somewhat um realistic to our expectations of what the container of empathizing can really mean Mm. in the real world and hopefully we are creating stories story worlds experiences using all different platforms and mediums to expand our understanding of one another and the human condition. Mm. Right. And I don't think, you know, I I know what you're saying, but I don't think that that necessarily will make us all good people. Hopefully. I mean, it extends us in the direction of being more considerate and compassionate. And I do believe that that can create some very real um, positive impact but it's it's not a one and done, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think you said you, it, what was in your um, response just now. You said um, elicit empathy mm-hmm. as opposed to the idea of growing empathy mm-hmm. or instilling empathy, mm-hmm. which I think is your argument, Nick. That um, that. That has a lot of um, potential poison to it. Just the idea that uh, it's instilling or growing empathy, um, as opposed to um, just helping to uh, the way that art does mm-hmm. elicit it mm-hmm. and and put it kind of uh, bring it to the fore. Um, so my question for you, Nick, is: So what's the goal for you? Right at Planeta, you guys are building things um but we to to let's um is it safe to call it to say you're building things that that enhance an experience um hopefully (laughs) so what's the goal that question has lots of ramifications it's very difficult what's the goal because if i have to summarize the goal of of um of what you do in your daily life you know that that's a difficult yes. psychologically rooted question uh but at a more at a more at the surface level um i mean what what we do is 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 um uh what we do is 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 very trivial um you know it it, it doesn't have a, a lot of depth to it uh it's um 
and it, it, it certainly has no intention beyond its apparent um, description. Um, because we, we do things that are very simple. Uh, you know, for, for, for example, for me, if I could um, just bring some attention to someone that would sit down and, and actually listen to music um, and have that beautiful experience that you have with music, uh, that is plenty. You know, that's a great achievement. And and um, and so these speakers that we're doing are just for that. It's mm-hmm. just to try to bring, again, the idea of like, I'm going to listen, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to listen to this song um, in 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 hopefully better conditions that they have listened to it before, but yet being incredibly affordable, but because everything that we do has to be accessible um, because it's it's a pity when it's, when it's not. Um, I think exclusivity is something that is detestable to me. And um, the... Uh, so it's 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 that it, there is that simplicity in design and simplicity in, in intentions or ambitions. It's it's not very ambitious things. Um, so I I don't have like a a bigger answer to the question because it, I I would be making it up. You know, it, it is like let's see if we can, um, and then with with um, with uh, spatial computing, um, I think the the f- the future holds a lot of promise, um, and it might be. And it's it's again going to be dominated by the wrong hands, and that's the problem with all of these technologies, and that's why internet is a bit of a boring place right now. <laughs> uh, but um, what we what we what we are able to do now, and what we're doing now with with the spatial computing technology that we have, and we as, as like small developers, like more independent developers, have, and uh, and the hardware that is out is 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 a, is a joke you know it's like um and the future you know in in 20 years or so yeah it might be amazing uh the the things that you will be able to do again i think it's not going to look great because it's going to be in the wrong hands like the majority of the of what um we see around us and that we will see it everywhere then mm-hmm. um but the 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 possibilities are are furiously exciting and funny you know and like and and um as your mind goes crazy in terms of possibilities when there would be like a persistent digital layer that and that and and that you will be able to mess with that and you'll be able to mess with your own representation of yourself with the face with the face the faces that you'll see in other people but you see that in 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 the wrong hands you know that this technology is going to have pretty devastating <laughs> uh, uh, consequences mm. um sorry but yeah no. no I, was, I, was I I I tend to be uh, quite pessimistic. Um, so the but but I but I'm still very excited about what this uh, what spatial computing um, offers as a uh, as a as a new play area as a new canvas. The but um, but it's as simple as, as as that. It's as simple as a way like of 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 where to place a certain sound where it hits you right. Or how to place the light uh, when it bounces on, you know, the photograph that you're seeing, or the painting that you're seeing, mm-hmm. or the paper that you're seeing. Yeah. So it, it's it's incredibly simple and like quite nuanced, but but subtle, um, subtle things. Yeah. Hmm. If um, we were to paint a unicorn and ice cream future where it's all potential and and not not the scary stuff um 
you said the word potential several times. So, mm-hmm. so I'm curious for you with thing, ideas like this digital layer, mm-hmm. um, what's, what's in your mind an exciting result of what it would look like in its most ideal form? Well, the, the, um, in, in its, in its most ideal form at, at a, at a, you know, at, at a platform level, essentially as, uh, the the first conversation that is interesting is is how uh, public space versus, versus private space is going to be defined, uh, and and what are the, going to be the protocols and the agreements between all the different providers of this yeah. and uh, of, of this this layer to make sense of it all, <laughs> and um, because if it I would imagine that we will be approaching it in the similar way that we're approaching it with that we've approached it with with the the app system, which now kind of dominates kind of the convention. Um, so you would have like a Facebook layer you know, yeah. and then there will be like, you'll be able to leave notices for your friends or you'll be able to like, um, and, and they will be, you know, bombarding you with, with ads at, at every turn of a corner. Like, this is, no, uh, this is the unicorn and ice like, cream Oh future. no, really? Oh, <laughs> oh, you want to, to see, right. The, the, what, the beautiful what, The happy world. one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, happy place. Well, the 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 happy one, you know, reality doesn't. Our reality doesn't doesn't need a lot of 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 uh, additives to make it because reality is pretty amazing. And that's kind of a, I think a, a very nice observation that happens to many people that try VR is that when they take off the headset, like, oh, this is so nice, you know, like <laughs> the textures are so nice, like tactility is so beautiful, and yeah. you know, because that that is 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 um, it's just a fact. Um, the but the things that would be interesting is 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 how you uh, uh, how you can start, for instance, completely changing your appearance, and and so that I'm I'm wearing glasses that you know that that project this digital layer on top, and then, for example, like a first interesting conversation to have is who chooses how you look to me. Do I choose how you look to me, or do you choose how you look to me? Mm. You know, because you can project whatever image you want on top of your face. Mm. You know, if I am, if, and and then take it, take it. Let's let's go to the non-unicorn side of things again, just for a minute. Mm-hmm. You know, like <laughs> imagine. This, you know, you, this is a very hard exercise for you. <laughs> but but imagine, you know, uh, because I, I I think like how it will be, how will that be, how the how will it work, you know? Because you know the obsession there is now with apps that comp- digitize your face, you know, yeah. like and yeah. turn you in, either in a, into a cartoon or like and these yeah. things with avatars. But that's now in, in your little box of your messaging and your. But that's that can be like street level, you know, like and and really well covering your face with this mask and this um, different. So in I was thinking how it will work in restaurants. You know, you'll go there and all the servers will have the defined face mm. that kind of Oh my fit, gosh, this fits, is gross. Fits the brand. This feels of gross. The Anomalisa, have you seen it? No. But, but that everyone's voice is the same. Yes, it's uh but that that could be a possibility. You know, like a branded restaurant that is very strict and everyone looks exactly the same. Maybe, you know, maybe and yeah, and filtering the voice. Or a racist person could say like I'm not seeing, I'm only want to see white people. That could, that, you know, these things are that that, that right. technically is very possible. Yeah, very very possible. Um, talking about good things again. Um, the uh, you say the, again, but have we hit the good things yet? <laughs> 
<laughs> well, the, I, do you see a unicorn there? Uh, yeah, I am I, so far no unicorns in the stable. Well, I, I was I was referring to good things as kind of interesting points to yeah, think about. Yeah, you know, that 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 um, though the, these are very. I think that they're very interesting uh, points about because you know yes. the, the the premise Questions. is that we can invade like all the reality with like a, a permanent persistent highly rendered digital layer yeah um, and that means that we can cover everything in so you can imagine you know how you're um something that i do look forward to is like having a completely clean desk you know and then i think a lot about the ar cataclysm of like all the objects that will disappear and mm -hmm. that is another another great thing you know like all screens will disappear all all ugly little speakers will disappear and there's a, there's a lot of stuff that we will be able to throw away and that it will only exist represented um, digitally because mm. we don't need a lot of things that we have you know like we will get rid of so many annoying charges and cables and things you know, everything will all that can disappear because there will be persistence of either input sources like or, or output sources of of any kind you know so you can you can have you can imagine a desk that will be completely clear and you will and you will have you know your your magazines that you can have there your paper rendered as, as, as paper um, you know so that that's that there is first an ele element of 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 cleaning up mm -hmm. now that we're approaching the new year is apt to talk about it but you, you can you can clean up your house of like a lot of things and then the objects that will remain uh those will be very important those will be really things that that you have a very nice relationship with it mm. but but that i think that that's interest that's another interesting area you know to think about how your home will change very drastically maybe that will be your home maybe other people have <laughs> ar knickknacks everywhere many, many. <laughs> <laughs> like i don't right if maybe i'm I, right i'm a um a tchotchke collector <laughs> a I hoarder can i can have many 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 little things virtual tchotchkes but there's there's some some people have started visualizing some of this because it, it i mean it will kind of start with this flattening of the of reality like a lot of the graphic information might disappear you know because maybe now you have polka dots here but you can have like today we'll have like oblique lines that will be moving from left to right you mm. know or you can imagine that you know you can bring movement and you can bring you no know, oh, today instead of this carpet we're going to have a different carpet we're going to have a red carpet today yeah. all this uh, are things that are um open up for for and sorry and i'm just talking about mixed reality not talking about virtual reality i think virtual reality will be amazing in the future mm. uh, but but mixed reality like uh, how it affects more our daily life this this everything could change in a in a pretty interesting way yeah <laughs> do you have a um unicorn and ice cream version i was i was so closely You're following nick <laughs> 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 Wait, what's the oh. unicorn version of the, um, so I, you know like in in a um with the utopian view of the potential mm -hmm. for you what is it what does what do immersive technologies offer 10 or 20 years from now um that that they don't yet oh god i think i think the the possibilities are so vast mm. that it's i mean just across every discipline right from like medicine to education to interconnectedness i mean i think i think what we do need is like lessening the gap 
between people, hopefully, like creating these connections and allowing people to declutter their brains in a way that they can experientially come together um, and 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 I think what's important it's funny I've um, been reading this book mm-hmm. <laughs> Nihilism and Technology and it's really fascinating <laughs> when you start thinking about not um, not having these tools sort of determine a solution mm-hmm. right and so in design really participating in design and really thinking about how it's enhancing humanity and not necessarily just focusing on the end result of what this can bring. Yeah. Um, so having said that, I think in an ideal situation, we are not being spoon fed ideas, but we are given new possibilities and expanding ourselves and expanding our sort of understanding of one another and hopefully transcending beyond beyond the limitations of what we see now which Mm. is like we can be more inclusive we can have a better deeper sounder understanding of one another and together as humanity i mean these are like these are total unicorn (laughs) type dreams but i think evolving in a way that we are thinking feeling human beings that can leave behind all the baggage that is bogging us down now but you see because i the the way you you talk is about as it gives the feeling as if um this starts now you know um and that's the 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 notion that i have more trouble with because mm-hmm. um books have been pretty illuminate you know like the idea of like the me- the mechanized reproduction of books mm-hmm. you know if this hasn't that the, how can you know how can Im- spatial computing take it even further is is something that i still don't see you know that Sorry. Or that let uh, me let, yeah. then let me clarify i was just responding yeah to to mark's question of how mm. this technology can advance mm-hmm. us i I completely agree with yeah, you. Well, I think there's a continuum and a spectrum from where we've come from, from all the tools that we've gathered so far. Mm-hmm. And just like thinking about this tool specifically, like. Yeah. Because with, with education, I think it's it's mm-hmm. unquestionable that, you know, YouTube has mm-hmm. been like a massive revolution on, on education. The idea that you can watch videos mm-hmm. and learn some. And I and I totally believe that that VR can take this much mm-hmm. further, and mm-hmm. education is going to have like a huge impact. Um, and the the other the, the very important one as, as unicorns is 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 the idea of how this helps to people that are in in particularly difficult plights, you know, like in in hospital, etc. This definitely, you know, it's it's an obvious mm-hmm. it's an obvious. Um, uh, positive and, and, and hugely positive effect that these things have. Um, but in, in the more, um, in, in, let's say in the more uh, lab person, like in, in abstract or someone who's just like in a normal daily life condition, yeah. um, how, uh, so uh, outside of the effects of, of what education brings, you know, um, from an end, entertainment perspective which is a it's a very noble pursuit uh the you know we can suspect that and we can easily predict that this is 
not generally going to be in the in the right hands. It's going to be in in the type of um, you know the type of things that we are fed and the things that I I don't have great hopes for that. Right. Seeing how the like the general business of of, of media and, and is going and and how uh, around yeah. even like the manipulation of video and how the whole thing is transforming into a. Uh, that's what gives me some qualms about. Yeah. As artists, I think we have to maintain in our hearts uh, a deeper, not an agenda, but a deeper inspiration to tell stories that connect people, right? At, at, in a very, very basic way. And of course, these large corporations have their own mandates and their own agendas, and it's all going to be completely twisted. And And I think just like with any other medium and any other tool, I think it's um, sort of absurd to consider. And I think this is, this is part of like the binary outlook that so many people um, approach when they talk about new technology mm. is that one is replacing another. And as we've seen, right, like VR has not replaced TVs. TVs yeah. are like, you know, well, let's film is another thing. But when you talk about like books or you talk about um, photographs, which still exist. Um, and so I think it's another tool and it's a very different tool and it's a very powerful tool. And hopefully we as artists have the onus to like really make interesting content that is responsible and figure out ways to um, to really think about it, to come together as a community, and to to think about the the, the greater possibilities for this medium. Yeah. yeah. And 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 for audiences, I mean, just like with anything else, it's 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 the onus falls on audiences to become literate in these different technologies and to understand you know, what is this like big corporation trying to tell me and trying to sell me? And I think along with the sophistication of content and the sophistication of messaging comes also the sophistication of audiences in a, in being able to decipher like what is being spoon fed to them and what, um, what is, um, where they can find some actual inspiration from. Do you think the, the, um degree to which the purpose becomes positive with tools like AR and VR um, have a relationship to how um, accessible they are and and how uh, much we can bring down the cost of becoming creators with these things. So in other words, uh, the more we kind of um, offer access as creators and the more uh, people can see themselves putting these tools to use for their own purposes, whether it's storytelling or building experiences or whatever it is. Um, do you think that that's part of what, what determines what kind of purpose it's going to have? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so critical at this juncture of, you know, this new form of storytelling or what emerging technology that, as many voices as possible can be represented as creators and it are involved in, in the creation of these, um, of the content. Um, and part of that is access to cost and access to the technology. I mean, when you look at public institutions, I mean, this loops into the other conversation is the responsibility 
for public institutions to invest or um, um, in, in order to provide access to, to democratize mm-hmm. not only the, the creation side of it, but also the consumption side of it. Yeah, yeah. We, we're miles away from it. Mm-hmm. Miles and yeah. miles and miles. <laughs> yeah, we're very far away. No, we're very, very far away. The, the technology is, in, it's in, it's, is a joke that yeah. we have, right? It really is. Uh, the, the headsets are ridiculous. You know, when, uh, when you say it's a joke, um, you mean as compared with what it will be at some point. Is that what you mean? Yes, and, oh, and especially as, as compared to the way it has been portrayed mm. to us, we, and which is why it explains that, that it's not going anywhere in terms of consumer adoption. You know, mm. This 2018 has seen a growth in sales uh, of about only 8%, yeah. which is maybe what the number of like air-conditioned units <laughs> oscillate between one year and another. Not a, like a revolutionary new technology that is like ripping yeah. through the market and the imagination of yeah. people. It's not going anywhere. And the, and the, it's, the, the sales have completely stalled, mm. um, although the investment in publicity is astronomical. And you, you've seen the F- Oculus Go ads everywhere. You know? mm. and so they're, they're bombarding you with the idea that this is going to change your life. And of course, what happens is that Maybe I think it's the the numbers. If if we would have the numbers of of actual monthly active users, we would just um, change in, and go into a different business. Because maybe fifteen percent of those that have buy, bought a a, a a headset use it at least once a month. Mm-hmm. Maybe not more than that. Yeah, and that is alarming. <laughs> but but that that speaks as to the. First, like how bad the majority of the stuff that's available is, because it is true, it's, it's really, it's generally very bad and it's just still about like shooting zombies and stuff like that. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it's fine, I don't have anything against first person shooters, but it's mm-hmm. like, that's kind of what the industry offers right now. And then the, the headsets are, are very poor quality, incredibly oppressive, um, heavy, difficult to use. Um, they require a PC that no one has except gamers. Um, it's it's uh, it's 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 not ready for cons- consumption yet. Um, it's maybe three or four years away from it. Um, now the uh, the new standalone headsets that they promise they have very little processing power. It's like a, a mobile phone essentially, but with a bit better tracking. And so it's it's just not 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 there. Um, and the thing is that they've presented it as if it were there but it's it's not at all there and then that's why it's like people have said like are you kidding me like this is this is nonsense you no know? yeah. because yeah and it's the and, and again another of the common observations that i've i can make of seeing people use it is that they they, they try it once and like oh and do you want to try another experience no it's okay <laughs> <laughs> i got the idea one was enough. i got the idea it's like and people say like oh it looks like in the 90s and then it's so the the whole thing is is in a very bad state yeah um so depends on how you feel about the 90s <laughs> <laughs> no no I, I love that i i went to see orbital the other night and i was i was remembering those those years uh but um the it was the beginning of electronic music the way I, although it's it's so dependent on the content right like we just we just but, um, but it's so bad the content well i mean i yeah, haven't so, seen you i haven't seen your work sorry okay. but, no, no, but no, it's, no, it's just fine. it's so bad it's okay well do, it? we'll do a work share yeah. <laughs> yeah um we just uh worked we just released this um Neo Hitchcock Rear Window, this interactive series. Uh-huh. 
called Fire Escape. And what was really fun was that it's episodic. So it's three um, 20 minute episodes with light interactivity. And we were really trying to like find the sweet spot between episodic content, like episodic TV content and, and um, uh, light interactive VR. And when we've been showing, we've been showing these group screenings and a lot of the time it's first time VR users. So I wouldn't totally underestimate the audience's ability. I mean, most people who hadn't been in a headset before, all of a sudden, you know, we would do one episode for 20 minutes and then they wanted to jump right back into the next mm. episode. So I think it's there's like so many discussions going on at the same time. And I think they're all getting somewhat muddled, which is like as artists, as creators, having to prove an industry is one thing, yeah. right? Where it's like, oh, I have to prove that VR is the, the best thing since mm-hmm. sliced bread. Yeah. And and if it isn't, then my content doesn't hold up. But so so the other hand is like creating work that's interesting and gives you this sense of time and place in this world that's completely personal to you. I think there's, you know, we can't underestimate the magic mm-hmm. that also does take place and some yeah. of those magical moments which are irreplaceable by other platforms Mm -hmm. yeah so so um i had joked when we talked earlier that uh a lot of when you if you do research on uh sort of where the market Mm -hmm. for vr is right now everybody was saying you know there was like a lot of speculation that 2018 was a big year um and it was all about the cost of headsets Mm -hmm. combined with um just more content, more and better content. And I think what we're, um, well, you two who are the experts in this case, um, are saying is that we're not there. Um, so for the educator who's listening, who's getting encouragement from, Mm -hmm. you know, funders or board members, oh, you need to buy some headsets. You need to, um, get your young people into a, uh, you know, immersive experiences. Um, let, let's assume we're all on the same page that it's not, it's not quite here yet. Um, but, but how far out do you think it is? I, I think about, um, you know, for, for lighter touch experiences, and that's kind of how the market seems to be leaning towards is like, okay, well, we'll take the AR on the phone for now, you know, mm-hmm. which is a compromise because it's it's kind of silly, you know, it's like you're looking at the world through a keyhole, uh, but it can transport you a bit, you know, like if the soundtrack is right and you have like, <laughs> the, it's it's okay, you know, it's, it's okay, it's, it starts to use the space around you. you, at least you move a bit and you're not only like on the, sitting on the couch. Um, scrolling through Instagram the um, but so and for education we start to see some examples that that are very credible as, as things that would be useful you know like the, if you download the app the BBC's civilizations you can have these artifacts from around the world planted on top of your table and you can turn them around and um, and and appreciate kind of the material qualities and like it has these light reflections that are quite fancy it's 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 well done and it's um and it's credible as an education uh tool yeah um and it it has the advantage that it works on most modern phones kids have the phones it doesn't require like a huge investment it's it's all very kind of 
can control yeah. um, and it, it works. Um, uh, you know, when you think about representations of chemistry and space, and it, there's a lot of things that, that you know, the molecule and like a, a lot of things yeah, that, that sure. benefit from like moving from the 2D illustration in the textbook to space. Um, wonderful things that you can do with sound, etc. Um, but um, beyond that, uh, I think the, 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 the most um, impressive thing that I've seen in VR is, is Google Earth. Uh, and that is a, like a traveling tool is it's and transportative tool is absolutely stunning you know, mm. it's like the most amazing that's a feat of engineering and uh, i guess they had like 300 people working on it for five years i don't know but it's like it's absolutely astounding um and uh, but, but it's funny because i don't even, i don't <laughs> think people even think of google earth as vr anymore you know what I mean? It's like a standalone in some ways. It's like maps. But when you yeah. when you put it on, I mean, when you see it through a headset and, and you see, see you things, because yeah. then you see New York as like a model city yeah. in front of you. And it, yeah. it, I always put people in Tompkins Square, which was our st- studio, and then yeah. like, look down, that's where we are. And, and so that's a really, um, that's the most striking thing I've seen in VR. Yeah. And it's the one that I, I the only thing that I keep returning to. Mm. I think that's that's an exciting um, avenue to think about for K twelve is uh, its sort of um, transportive potential, mm-hmm. right? The idea that you know if I'm in a rural school and really not accessing enough of the world, um, you know, by the standards of uh, you know thinking about global education and and really what we want out of that, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, to think about, I I I would actually absolutely encourage educators to get involved, find a headset, borrow a headset, bring it into the classroom. The next generation of learners, if if where we're at today is not the destination, final destination for VR, that's irrelevant. The fact that we are working within this C space, this experiential canvas. Um, between sound and images and 3D, um, 3D graphics is absolutely critical for young students to become somewhat fluent, even in this developmental stage, mm. in order to be prepared to be able to jump into either this technology or this way of seeing, mm-hmm. this way of framing this, the world. This, uh, let me introduce a note of... of um it, it, I completely agree with what you I mean. It's true. I, I would also yeah. encourage them. It's um, in, but there's something, um, and again, it's not something that I believe. I'm just adding it as a as a as a note of contrast. Yeah. But um, the 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 this Ron Abovich, I think, is is the the founder of Magic Leap. Magic Leap mm. is the the yeah. this, this very strong um, mixed reality platform that have delivered a headset that was supposed to blow our minds, mm-hmm. but it did not. Um, but you can see the potential. <laughs> the, the, um, he was talking about a moment of like when he thought about doing this and he his kids were playing in the backyard according to the story that he told him. And, and he saw them kind of imagining that they were doing like some fight with Pokemon or something. Mm-hmm. And he said, they should actually be able to see this. And I said, should they? though isn't imagination 
enough for mm. that purpose you know um so then the 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 concern uh, you know when you think about early ages is that i i immediately kind of latch on to that like you know you see a, again like an illustration of a mummy for instance do you need to be placed in a reconstruction one one of like the sarcophagus and like any wood and the gold and the with the dust particles and or is it enough for you to see the photo of the pyramid the photo of the sarcophagus and like see that there is dust on the ground it's like make, hmm, maybe that's the feel inside of that you know that's kind of essentially the the sides of the spectrum how far do we need to go in the one one representation in the reproduction of the or the emulation of the experience because that's the thing it's just like an emulation and it's like a poorly rendered emulation uh, mm-hmm. now um how far do we need to go to give you the ability to understand that uh and that kind of i think goes again to the same point that we've been talking a bit over um tonight it's it's um and how you know how where do you want to stop the the imagination of those kids where you where do you put the boundaries to their imagination yeah. and you say like no don't imagine further this is how it used to right. be but why yeah. do you assume that it's stopping imagination because you don't need to complete the image the image you know the more that we the, the more that we um pursue the idea of a perf- a perfect representation mm-hmm. perfection is like is you know it's it's not movable you cannot mm-hmm. mutate it anymore it's like that's it you don't you don't have anything to complete you know mm-hmm. and imperfection is always great because it allows your mind to complete it mm-hmm. in a in a certain way or change it in a certain way uh and i i fear that that if if you know if if he did, if he wanted to see his kids if he saw that if he observed that his kids were playing with pokemon just believe that they were seeing those pokemon mm-hmm. and i see my kid now mm-hmm. he's for the stories that he's living in and like, and then he says no no i'm just pretending he now he's just learned the word pretend and he loves it and mm-hmm. uh and i i wouldn't i mean i put the headset on him and he's <laughs> confused but but i i've put him in google earth a few times um but i would never kind of offer an alternative to his um, imagination in that sense but again i'm simplifying to a level of caricature but yeah. but i think that that's kind of an issue i think with with the one one perfect representation of something hmm. i think um goes both ways right it's there are uh and it's an interesting place for us to wind up is um because it's a really essential question for educators is the thinking about at what moments in the learning process we want for imagination to complete the picture and at what moments Mm -hmm. imagination completing the picture has been a detriment um, because there are both. Right. And Um, and what is the framing for that? Like if you are presenting it as a complete picture or how are you creating for that and framing that? Yeah. And at what, stages right mm-hmm. so um in in one's life um right if i'm mm-hmm. 40 and right. uh i've got my whole life sort of imagining what oh uh, no. no now we we are we are done what, with with imagining what, like what a thing what a thing looks like yeah. um yeah. and it's always left gaps in my understanding about how the world works mm-hmm. that's one one thing um and maybe there um you know, something immersive is is absolutely, what, yeah, in, in um, a, it, or where or where, for example, your earlier example about, um, for example, um, 
kids and adults who may have been born with or or are in circumstances where their mobility is low and and they're not accessing and and they only have imagination as a way to sort of access experiences that's a really exciting potential on the other hand when you think about your four-year-old my own um the idea of replacing the the richness of the real world with anything that's virtual or or um, fabricated is seems sad and scary but i think um maybe that's the moment we're in is um that we're close enough to the potential but far enough from the very beginning of this technology to be at a place where um, we're at a really good spot to think about the sort of downstream effects of the tools and how we want to put them to use. I think you put it really eloquently um, about our being um, deliberate and, and thoughtful about how we want to put these things to use. And um, we'll see them in all kinds of different, um, all kinds of different uses, but uh Maybe that's the moment we're in is uh, helping uh, helping artists, professionals, creators who have access now help the rest of us to think about, you know, when we are creators, you know, what are we going to put this this um, all of this to work toward? Um, So uh, I actually I am really grateful to the both of you for coming back to have this conversation, because I actually do think. Um, we were able to get um, a level further into the weeds a little bit, which which I had hoped um, <laughs> about about AR and VR because I think that a lot of the conversation about it is so surface um, still, and it's still at the level of of sort of um, you know that it, it's kind of like the marketing language about what the potential is, but I mm-hmm. think. Uh, here we're having a very serious conversation about the sort of ethics of VR and, and uh, AR and where we really are in the um, in the timeline of when we're going to realize this potential. I think it's an important conversation for educators because, um, you know, uh, we're all sort of um, one of the things that technology does is put us into a place where we feel like we're constantly sort of behind and uh, should be accessing more than we are. And um, I think some of the questions that we raised tonight will be good, um, you know, solid places to serve as contrast to the, you know, the advertisements and the the sound bites about, uh, or the, the, I've seen a lot of bus ads mm-hmm. um, of, you know, headsets in, in houses and, and, um, I think where I think where we landed is uh, that we're at a moment in time where we need to be really thoughtful about it. But part of what I'm really excited about is um, exposing people to work like what's happening at Ink Stories, and knowing that uh, there are folks out there leading businesses like Planeta, where you guys are extremely conscious of uh, the accessibility of these technologies and their limits. Um, so I'm grateful to both of you for the work and for the conversation. And, um, and I can't thank you enough for, for coming back to have the conversation. I, hopefully it's one of many. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. 
For more info about advertising with us, charitable sponsorship, or if you have show ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero, an Ithaca bomber, an engineer of digital things and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you, and our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org. This show would not be possible without the support from the good people at Mouse, a national youth development nonprofit that believes in technology as a force for good. Find us online at mouse.org. <laughs> now, of course, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be even harder.